A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. The gym doors open and I looked in the gym and they had about eight basketball courts with guys my age running up and down the court and my eyes just got wide. That's how it really started. When I saw those guys playing, I knew that was the place for me. And you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. So we're all getting church pumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, can you make the pass? Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time and I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 28. Thanks for joining me. My website, inallairness.com. Just add a forward slash and the episode number to view show notes. We're going to get straight into the episode in just a moment. I want to thank Ricky Pierce for making himself available to chat today. In this conversation, you'll learn about when Ricky first fell in love with the game of basketball. We also chat about his college career and entry into the NBA and also the many different links that he has to players from that 1982 NBA draft class. We talk about his rookie campaign with the Detroit Pistons, his trade to the San Diego Clippers, and then also his six-plus seasons with the Milwaukee Bucks and some of the great things that he achieved there, including those two Six Man of the Year awards that he collected whilst a member of the Milwaukee team. We also talk about his time with the Seattle Supersonics, how close they got to the NBA Finals, talk about his time with the Golden State Warriors, the Indiana Pacers, and also he chats about heading overseas to play in Greece before returning to finish his career with the Milwaukee Bucks. Stay tuned also to hear an interesting story about Ray Allen and his link to Ricky Pierce. I really appreciate you downloading or streaming this episode. Hope you get a lot out of it and learn plenty of new things about this great era of NBA and in particular, Ricky Pierce. Now, on to the show. My guest today is a 16-year veteran of the NBA. He's one of only three players to ever win the 6th Man of the Year award twice. And he was also an All-Star in 1991. Ricky Pierce, thanks for joining me. No problem. It's great to be able to chat to you today. Before we talk all things NBA, I'd just like to quickly ask about your beginnings in basketball. So I know you're from a, a large family, a lot of brothers and sisters. So when did you actually start playing basketball seriously? Well, I seriously got started in the fifth grade. I mean, is when I really got interested in organized basketball. Mm-hmm. It's really a funny story. I mean, I always played pickup basketball at the local gym, but some football player friends of mine, one of them played pro football, Randy Love, and they would have an organized tryouts in the fifth grade. And I was always a pretty good player playing pickup. So 
they, they was really trying to get me to come play with them. So I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to play with you guys. But anyway, make a long story short, they pulled me in back of a truck and we drove downtown where they was having the tryouts and organized basketball. And I was mad because I didn't really want to go. So what happened, they, the gym doors opened and I looked in the gym and they had about eight basketball courts with guys my age running up and down the court. And my eyes just got wide. And that's how it really started. When I saw those guys playing, I knew that was the place for me. Uh, love it. After playing one season at Community College in Washington, you returned to your native Texas and you had a fantastic three-year career at Rice University and you ended up having career averages of 22.5 points per game and 7.6 rebounds a game, so some fantastic stats there. And you were also the catalyst of making Rice into a much more competitive team and you were also named third-team All-American in 1982. Can you just talk a little bit about your college basketball experiences, please, Ricky? Well, it was a great experience for me. I mean, I really loved playing basketball, uh, and I just wanted to compete at the, at the highest level. And, you know, I had played with, with guys that was competitive, you know, that loved playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wanted to be competitive and improve each year, you know, starting from Walla Walla through Rice University. I just wanted to each year to get better and better, all through points, rebounding, and even winning. Sure. Now, how was that experience? Um, you mentioned Walla Walla. You were there for a year and then decided to come back closer to home. How was that year away from home? It was cold. Right. I, I've never been in snow before, and it was very cold. But I gained a lot of experience, you know, playing with different players from different states. I mean, it was fun and competitive. One more thing about your college career, being close to home, did you have a good opportunity for your family to come and watch you play? And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to come back closer to home, where my mom and my sisters and brothers could have an opportunity to watch me play. Great. Let's talk NBA draft. In 1982, you were selected at 18th pick overall by the Detroit Pistons. And interestingly, from that same draft class, Terry Cummings, Paul Pressey, Fred Roberts and Craig Hodges, who'd all be future teammates of yours, were also in that same draft. So what are your memories of that draft day? Well... It was a, a dream come true. I mean, I've, I've always looked to uh, being in the professional ranks, and that's what I wanted to do. And it was just a great moment for me and my family. We're very happy and proud. I mean, it was just a great, great, great day. Hard to describe. Yeah, I can only imagine. According to basketballreference.com, which is one of my favorite websites that I used to research for this chat today, your first NBA regular season game was against Moses Malone, Dr. J, and the Philadelphia 76ers, who obviously went on to win the 1983 NBA championship. Do you remember that first pro game? No, I really don't remember that first game. I mean, it's been a while ago, and, and I don't really remember that game but I know I was sitting on the bench. I do remember that. That sticks out because I was a rookie and uh, I wasn't playing. So uh, so that sticks out more than anything because of my competitiveness. I wanted to be out on the floor. Yeah, sure. And I can understand that coming from having the career you did at Rice, have to sit on the bench. It would be a, a difficult adjustment, I'm, I'm sure. Now, you also had second-year players like Kelly Chapuka and also future Hall of Famer. Isaiah Thomas on that Pistons team and you also had guys like the microwave Vinnie Johnson and also John Long who were competing for court time ahead of you as well looking back how how do you feel about that rookie season well it was a difficult 
rookie season for me because I wasn't really prepared. I didn't know what to expect. And playing more forward in college, mm. I think it was more difficult for me to, to break into uh, get playing time from forward to guard. But for the players, Kelly and, and Isaiah, Vinny, John, I mean, they were young players, second, third year players, and they was really uh, outstanding players. So it was, you know, I, I'm not complaining at all. I mean, I learned a lot, especially from Vinny Johnson. Okay. Do you mind just talking a little bit more about that relationship with Vinny Johnson? Because he obviously was a, a crucial player on that Pistons team right through to the back-to-back titles when he hit that clutch shot in Game 5 of the 1990 Finals. Well, Vinny and I, you know, we had the same agent at that time, so he and I was pretty close. You know, he would always tell me, uh, young fella, did, although he wasn't but a couple years ahead of me, mm-hmm. but I'm still a rookie, he would say, keep your head up, keep training, keep working on your game, and your day will come. And, you know, and uh, especially this one right here, when I got traded, Vinny and I went out and had dinner. You know, I was down and out. You know, I, I felt rejected. And Benny told me, he said, hey, man, this can be an opportunity for you to get to play. So don't look at it as being so uh, rejected because this can be your opportunity. Yeah, true. And that leads me beautifully into that next question I have. Prior to your second season, the Pistons sent you to the San Diego Clippers. And personally, you had a solid season with the Clippers. You averaged about 10 points per game in just under 20 minutes a night. Can you just talk about the opportunities that you had at San Diego that perhaps didn't come your way when you were with the Pistons? Well, Benny was absolutely right. I mean, I, I got an opportunity to start. I hurt my knee, and that set me back with, with the Clippers. Uh, and also with Detroit, like I said earlier, they had young players in, in Isaiah, Kelly, Vinny, John Long, and they were still young players coming into their own with a little bit more experience. And I didn't really get an opportunity because, for one, I needed to work on my game. My game wasn't as polished as it should have been, you know, for making that transition. Okay, so in terms of developing your game, what sort of things did you try and focus on? Because clearly you had a a fantastic shooting touch, and we'll get to that a bit later on in the conversation. But what other things did you think needed the the work early on in your career? Well, I think reading situations, coming off screens, uh, and facing up as a a guard uh, and taking players off the dribble, you know, I think those are the adjustments that I had to really develop my game. You know, three dribbles, left, right. And, you know, and the pro game is so much different from college. I mean, you really have to have your game sharp to get your game off. Definitely. Now, in September of 1984, the Clippers sent Terry Cummings, Craig Hodges, and yourself to Milwaukee in exchange for Junior Bridgman, Harvey Catchings, Marcus Johnson, and, and Cash as well. The first three seasons that you spent in Milwaukee, you were coached by the great Don Nelson, and the Bucks went 59 wins, 57, and then 50 wins, respectively. And you also won the Central Division titles in 85 and 86. I read online somewhere an article that said that you made a really good first impression on Coach Nelson in Milwaukee when he discovered that you were running laps around the arena. Is that true, and do you actually remember that happening at the time? Yes, I remember that. What happened, I had injured my knee. I had a knee injury. And I didn't get much practice time. And so, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And I was determined to play because I knew I could play. And so after practice or non-practice days, I would go up to in the Mecca. And I would go up and I would run the stairs. I would run laps. And the coach's offices was in the arena. 
And so he told he even told me the story. He told me, he said, hey, man, I was going to cut you. You know, he said, I was going to cut you, but I used to watch you run. And my secretary would tell me, you need to come out and watch this guy. He, he up here sweating, he running the stands. And so <laughs> he told me the story, and but I was determined to do it. And, and yes, that's a true story. I was out, out running the stands and just trying to stay in shape. And then that opportunity came for me. He gave me an opportunity to get into a ball game. And I think I came off the bench, scored 15 points in, I don't know, eight minutes or so we won the game. And then he made a statement in the paper that I have to play this guy every game now. <laughs> and so that's where it all started. That's a fantastic story. I love that. And then you obviously went on to reward Don Nelson with some fantastic years and the years that were to come. Now, just you mentioned the Mecca there just for a moment. I, I've been to the Bradley Center in Milwaukee back in about 1994, so that was long after the Bucks stopped playing at the Mecca. But how did that arena compare then to what we can see with the state-of-the-art arenas these days? Well, the arena nowadays is fabulous, you know, with the skyboxes and all the entertainment that go with it. Mm. Uh, but the thing I like about the Mecca, it seemed like the players, I mean, your fans was right there in the game, you know. they was Everything was so close. You know, I really enjoyed that. But the arenas now are so spread out, but they have them full. So I guess it's the same type of comparison except for the uh, skyboxes. Yeah, true. Now, I asked this question to Terry Cummings, who has been a former guest on the show and obviously is a teammate of yours, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it as well. Your first season in Milwaukee was Michael Jordan's rookie year with Chicago, and your Bucks defeated MJ and the Bulls in the first round of those 1985 NBA playoffs. Can you just talk a little bit about playing against a rookie Michael Jordan and how you saw his game evolve over the many years that you would have been opponents, particularly as Eastern Conference foes? Very gifted, gifted, gifted player, you know, even as a rookie. I mean, he was determined. He was, I mean, you have to put your, your focus when you play against the Bulls on him, stopping him. I mean, very determined player, come out night in, night out, very competitive. And we beat them, too, in that first series. I mean, it was a battle. I mean, we had Sidney Moncrief, and Moncrief, you know, he was a great player, all pro defense. Of course, we had to double team and triple team him, but he was a fantastic player. Uh, you know, it speaks for itself. I mean, the greatest player guard at that era, for yeah. sure. Yep, excellent. Good to hear. In 1987 and also 1990, you won the NBA's Sixth Man of the Year award. Kevin McCarr won it twice in the mid-'80s, and another great player, Detlef Schrempf, won it twice in the early-'90s. So you're one of only three players who have ever achieved that milestone. When you look back on your career... How highly do you rate those awards? Oh, it's a great accomplishment. You know, in the same category with Kevin McHale, Deadlift, Eddie Johnson. I mean, you know, and it's a great, great award. Anytime you win an award in the NBA, it's a great accomplishment because they don't come easy. That's for sure. Uh, now, on February 27th, 1990, you and MJ had a great scoring duel. You had 38 points and MJ had 43 in a Bulls victory at Chicago. And I'll put a link to some highlights of that game in the show notes to this episode. So do you remember that particular game, and do you think that would have been your best performance against Jordan head-to-head? Well, probably with the 38 points for sure. I don't remember the game because we played so many games. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, 
you know, either fantastic defender and you really have to play a smart offensive game to get off 38 points. Definitely do. In that 1990 season, you averaged 23 points a game without a single start. And that's the highest single season average in NBA history for anybody that didn't start a game. So an incredible achievement in itself. Do you consider that 1990 season to be the best that you had as a pro? Uh, probably, I guess, as a scoring average, probably. I can't really recall. But, I mean, I'm happy with a lot of my seasons. But if that's what the stats say, that's what it is. Yeah. Is there a particular season of your entire 16-year career that you would say was your absolute best, or is it, is it too hard to narrow down? Well, I mean, I think I had quite a few good seasons that I can't really narrow down to one particular season. I think in 90, I had a good season, 91, probably 92, uh, 93. I mean, all those were good seasons. You know, anytime you can go and double figure and you win quite a few games, make it to the playoffs and shoot 50%, I call that probably a darn good season. Definitely would. Now, at, at one stage, I think you had five or six consecutive seasons where you shot 50% or better from the field. So some incredible stats there too. Oh, for sure. Especially when you're coming off the bench, to be able to come in straight away and produce when, when it's needed, that's also uh, a lot of pressure too. Well, and I'm not a statistician person. I mean, I go out to, because I really enjoy playing the game and my job is to win, try to get to the playoff, win a championship. I mean, I don't really focus into the stats. I know at the end of the day it's the production that counts. But I, I feel if you work hard and put the work in and just try to improve your game each summer, uh, the payoff. Well said. And speaking of that, I've read that in numerous NBA off-seasons, you and Terry Teagle would work together. So you were both Texas-born, I've since learnt, and also Terry was drafted just two spots ahead of you in the 1982 NBA draft. So may I just ask how that friendship developed over time? Well, Terry and I go back to high school. You know, we played in a, a tournament against one another. And they won the game, and he scored more points. And he, boy, I tell you, he won't let it die, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the funny thing about it. But I tell him with Terry, think about all the good college battles that we've had and uh, some of the pro battles. And I think I'm on top. <laughs> you know, we just fall out laughing. But Terry and I are best of friends still today. Uh, that's good to hear. I like to hear that sort of stuff. It's great to still have those friendships well beyond the playing days. You spent over six seasons with Milwaukee. What are some of your greatest memories from playing with the Bucks? Well, I think it's just the relationship in the community and with the former players. I mean, everyone was so was really professional. Uh, I met a lot of great, great friends in Milwaukee. Both of my kids was born in Milwaukee. So I had a great time in Milwaukee. You know, and, and, and matter of fact, the weather wasn't too bad either. I sort of got adjusted to the snow, although I told you earlier that the snow gave me problems in Walla Walla but it became sort of fun. Nice. You're one of seven All-Stars from the 1982 NBA draft. You played in the 1991 All-Star game at Charlotte, which the East won by two points. Do you mind just talking a little bit about that All-Star experience and the opportunities that you had to mix it with the best of the best and, and what you might remember most from that weekend? Well, a friend of mine, Ivan Robinson, he had played in a couple of those games. He and I was on the same team when we was voted in. Well, not voted in, but picked by the coaches. Mm -hmm. And so he told me, 
say, man, the game going to go by real fast. So when you get in, you, you get the shot, you better take it. It's going to happen fast. And he was right. But it was a lot of fun, though. I mean, I had a great time playing with all those guys, especially seeing Bernard King come back after that injury. That was a lot of fun, riding, even riding on the bus over to the uh, game. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's excellent. And speaking of Bernard King, he's one of my favorite players from back in the 1980s and early 90s, and he did fight back incredibly hard from that terrible injury and his, his operations and whatnot. So how... How far back do you go with Bernard King as far as when did you first play against him and do you still keep in touch even these days? Well, I don't t- keep in touch with him personally, but I just remember some of the games that Paul Pressy, which is a close friend of mine, every game we would play in New York, he would be sitting in the locker room talking about, man, I have to deal with Bernard tonight. Yeah. I knew if I could hold him under 35 points, I think I've held him pretty decent. I mean, and you know, we just start laughing about it because we all respect Bernard scoring, you know, so much. And he was just a joy to play against and watch. Yeah, he definitely was. In the days that followed the 91 All-Star game, the Bucks traded you to Seattle for another sharpshooter, Dale Ellis. Do you mind just talking a little bit about the history behind that trade, given that you were one of the favorite sons of the Milwaukee Bucks at the stage? Well, it's a lot to that, but it was a lot of fun playing in Milwaukee and being traded for Dale Ellis, a good friend of mine. Uh, I mean, I think they, they got a pretty even swap, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Dale was a better shooter, outside shooter, than, you know, from the three-point. But inside, you know, 15, I, I think I would give myself the edge. But... uh I think it was a pretty good trade for both teams. And Dale and I ended up playing together in Denver, which we had a lot of fun together playing. I mean, we had a lot of good shooting drills that that we would do a lot of competitive shooting. I mean, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I had a ball with Dale. That's great to hear. Now, you joined a relatively young Sonics team who had a rookie, Gary Payton, and Sean Kemp was only in his second season. The team was also balanced with other veterans like the wonderful uh, Eddie Johnson, another favourite of mine, Sadal Threat, and also Michael Cage, to name a few. What stands out most from your time spent in Seattle, Ricky? That team was so talented. I mean, we should we had an opportunity to win a championship, mm-hmm. especially with Michael being out. You know, uh, we had an opportunity. I mean, everyone was talented. Everyone was, I mean, just a talented team. You know, and, and then that horrible loss to Denver, uh, which I didn't play in that series. I mean, that's the only bad memory. But playing with those guys was, was a lot of fun. I mean, we had a great time together. Nate McMillan, Deadlift, Sam Perkin even came on. You know, it was a lot of fun. You had some fantastic players on that roster. It was really loaded with some great guys over the over the uh, early 90s and, and into the even when the Sonics ended up making the finals in 1996, but you'd since left the team at that stage. But I, I won't dwell on that 1994 season where you did meet the, the Nuggets and Dikembe Mutombo's team upset you guys in a first-round shock. But in 1993, I will mention, you're only one victory away from facing MJ and the Bulls in the 1993 NBA Finals. In that game, Barkley had just a monster game. I think he had 40-plus points. And Eddie Johnson had a great game for your Sonics. Do you mind just talking about that seventh and deciding game in Phoenix in those Western Conference Finals? Well, I think we just ran out of gas. I mean, we 
it was a tough series all the way through. I mean, I think everyone on both teams was really having uh, uh, fantastic games. But home court advantage, Charles Barkley, being Charles, a fantastic basketball player, mm-hmm. was just relentless. I mean, he would not want to give up that, that home court. He wasn't going to give it up. I mean, it was a great series, but they were just a little too tough that night. Yeah, true. After the 1994 season, you were sent to the Golden State Warriors franchise and you briefly reunited with Don Nelson. Then you signed with the Indiana Pacers prior to the 1996 season. Now, you had limited opportunity when you were at the Warriors, but you played 76 out of a possible 82 regular season games in Indiana. What are your thoughts on those two seasons, Ricky? Fantastic uh, Indiana team. I mean, we were doing well even in Golden State until everybody got hurt at the beginning. I mean, we started out fantastic. Then all our key players got hurt, our young stars. And so then, of course, they start playing the young players. Mm. And so that's the way it goes. You know, when, you, when you're not winning, they're going to play young players. But the Indiana team, we had great opportunity. And to Reggie Miller got hurt in the playoffs in that first round. And at that time... You know, he was still in his prime. Yeah. Now, he injured his eye socket, didn't he? Was that the series against the Atlanta Hawks? Right, right. Yeah, so I think it still went to five games, though, didn't it? Right, right. Yeah, just unfortunately lost out on that first-round series. Your 1997 season was split between Denver, where you said that you were teammates with Dale Ellis, and then also Charlotte, and then you played overseas in Greece which was an interesting move. Uh, returning to the NBA, signing as a free agent with your former team, the Milwaukee Bucks, to play out your final season in, in 1998. And then you've since told me that you retired after 1998 because of the impending NBA lockout. Uh, can you just discuss those final seasons and also your heading overseas as well to play in Greece? Well, Greece was different. Mm. Really, really different. And at my age, I did not have any idea that they was doing two-a-day practices and they was running as hard as they was running at my age. I I got in great shape in Greece, though. I mean, I had fun over there. uh, But then I got a call from my agent that Milwaukee wanted me back for that uh, final half of the season, and I thought that was probably cool. Mm -hmm. And so I came on back to uh, Milwaukee and finished up in Milwaukee and gave the fans there an opportunity to say, I appreciate everything you've done. You know, you did a great job here. Of course, they had Ray Allen at that time and, and uh, Glenn Robinson, and they were the star players. And I played some minutes there. I mean, it was a lot of fun just going back home. That was more of a homecoming for me. Good for them to be able to show their admiration for you and what you've put in for the franchise over the years. So, yeah, I agree totally there. Now, speaking of Ray Allen, a good friend of mine, Todd, who's sometimes a guest on my podcast here, he mentioned to me just yesterday that Ray Allen said earlier this year that you were an early influence on his shooting. So that must be a great feeling to know that given how great a career Ray Allen's had and you know multiple NBA championships, can you just talk a little bit about Ray Allen and his impact on you and vice versa? Fantastic work ethics. When I, when I was there, I mean, that guy, he would work on his shot. He would work on his off-the-dribble game. I mean, he would lift weights. I mean, he really deserved what he had, what he's accomplished. I mean, he, he put the work in. And not only that, he's a student of the game. I, he go back and I believe he watched tapes. He know the history of the game and the players. 
I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, he's just a fantastic person. Oh, excellent. Now, since retiring from the NBA, you've done multiple things. You developed a basketball shooting system, which is called the AccuShot 22. Also, you wrote a children's book. And in my opinion, the most impressive of these, last year, in 2012, you finished your degree at Rice University and now have a Bachelor of Arts in, I think, kinesiology, which is like the study of human movement. Can you just describe the importance of that great milestone and and what keeps you busy these days, Ricky? Well, when I first went off to to college, leaving out of Garland, my mom, she had talked to me about finishing school. Mm -hmm. She told me that would be a good, great thing to do. And I kept that in mind. And I said, well, you know what, Ricky, you have all this idle time get back to school and finish. And that's what one of the driving forces right there. And for that basketball in the children's book, you know, I started training kids. And my son in particular, my youngest son, he was playing uh, YMCA basketball. And a lot of the parents was coming up and asking me, could you please help my son with a shooting? What I noticed, a lot of the kids were shooting out of the palm of their hand. And so I say, well, if I can you know, get them to shoot it more off their pads and came up with a gadget to do that, I could really make something happen here. And so I'd started playing golf and they had this club that would show you how to grip a club. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of gave me an idea with this basketball. And so that's how I developed it. I said, well, I put these ovals on this ball and at the top of their, their shot, they have to have it on their fingertip pads. And then the book came in because we were doing a lot of reading with kids, my wife and I, she'll form a singer with the Fifth Dimensions, and she also have her own, uh, she's doing albums now. She has some Christian music that she's doing. Mm-hmm. And so we's reading the kids, and so we decide, okay, let's come up with our own book. And so I made a character out of the ball, and it's Bouncing Billy, which is pretty cool, and I think a lot of kids like it too. Yeah, well, that can help them identify with it. And also, I'm a school teacher by trade, so I teach young kids, and I think it would be a fantastic thing for them to, to encourage them to have a bit of physical activity and then also learn a bit at the same time. So, yeah, that's a great idea too. Do you plan to write any more books in the future? Yeah, we're working on some books right now. We're working on a book. Okay. Trying to get it finished, yeah. Yep, great. Now, speaking of your wife, just briefly, I believe that she actually also was – singing at some of the Milwaukee Bucks home games back in the 1980s in particular. Is that true? That's true. How did that go as far as her doing the singing uh, and then also with you playing the game as well? Was there much made of that at the time or it was just pretty much accepted widely? Well, it was accepted. I mean, at the beginning, I was a little nervous because she was doing the anthem and all of that. I didn't want her to mess up. So. <laughs> Like, uh, so, girl, please, please. So, but she, you know, she was doing a fantastic job. You know, she a professional and she was handling her business. Ah, that's good to hear. Excellent. Now, do you see yourself working at a college or MBA level in the future at all in any capacity to do with coaching, Ricky, or are you happy to stay away from the game? Well, I'm still involved with the game. I have a group of guys uh, that I train. You know, I do individual training. So I'm still very much in, in, in contact with the game. Yeah. What do you think of today's NBA in comparison to when you were playing? How do you think it really compares? I, I think the fundamentals and the skills of the players these days doesn't really compare all that well with back in your era, but that's just my personal opinion. Well, I think most players back in my era would say that, 
But I'm more looking into the era now. I think the guys are fantastic players. I mean, they're aggressive, they're athletic, and they're playing, and they're making a lot of money. Mm. And I think they should really cherish it and just keep developing their game and enjoy it because I don't, it's just like yesterday I was out on the court playing. I mean, it's going to go by just that quick. I'm sure it seemed to go by very quickly, even though you had a really long and storied career. Just before we wrap things up, Ricky, and it's been great to be able to chat with you today, you're now on Twitter, so how can people connect and keep in touch with you online? You can go www.twitter.com backslash rickypierce22, and you can also go www.facebook.com backslash rickypierce. Excellent. I'll include the information about how people can connect with you as well in the notes to this episode. Uh, I just want to thank you again for chatting with me today. It's been a real treat. I've really enjoyed it and I loved hearing about your career. And thanks again for chatting with me. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please visit the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.